Hey friend, thanks for listening to the Fixate Phoenix podcast. We are praying that you are blessed by this week's message. If you would like to partner with the future of Fixate, you can visit fixatephx.com slash give. Talking about something and I'm just going to cut right to the chase. We've been calling it holistic habits. Now, this framework came from studying in Leviticus, and and essentially what we were studying in Leviticus was this idea that holiness, right, is this idea that holiness is is an incredible thing to go after. And I remember when I was a a young kid, I remember growing up and, you know, they teach, you know, be holy as I am holy, right? And it's like, you're eight years old and you're like, dang, like, mom, that seems like a lot. My mom was my child, my, my instructor. And it was like, okay, how can I be holy as a nine-year-old, <laughs> you know? But, but, and ultimately, I would even say this today as adults, if I came to you and like, hey, are you holy? Like, you're just like, wow, I feel attacked, I feel mildly attacked. And holy, the idea that we're distinct to look at, we're consecrated, we're set apart, right? That's an incredible definition and an incredible goal to reach for as we follow um, Christ's example. But I would say in Leviticus, I was challenged around the passage of scripture of holiness in which the, the Levitical tribe was consecrated and set apart for God. And what I mean by that is if you actually look, it says that they were wholly devoted unto him. And the word holy was spelled W-H-O-L-L-Y, the whole of them. And I started playing with that in my mind. What does it mean to be holy, all of us, devoted wholly to all of him? Because in my opinion, when that takes precedent, what we see is that if the whole of us is consumed with the whole of him, we do become holy as he is holy. And what we did is I'm actually just going to right out the gate want to give you resources because here's the deal. I, I know for me, I feel like what we de- depend on and bank on in this day and age is we, none of us ever want to raise our hand and go, I don't know what I'm doing or where to even start. But really, we want to be hyper-practical in our approach here. And so right now on, at Fix 8, we've been in holistic habits for the last few weeks. So we did two weeks on prayer. We're going to do two weeks on the Bible and really how we get into it, what it's meant to do for us. And then we're going to be talking about some other things. But on our website, we've created a tab, fixaphx.com, holistic habits, in which there's a five-minute video with a super in-depth breakdown on how you can read the Bible. Everything from translations that we like, reading plans that me and my wife do, one-year Bibles that we like, commentaries that we would recommend, everything designed for a one-stop, hyper-practical. If you ever come up to me and say, man, I, I would love to develop a relationship with Scripture and a lifestyle of reading it, I would tell you, check out that. We also did that with prayer, a holistic form to how do you have a lifestyle of prayer? Because once again, it's like, I could stand up here until I'm blue in the face and be like, read your Bible and pray. But a lot of us are like, well, where do I even start? How do I even do that? That resource is for those people. So fixatephx.com. There's a tab, holistic habits. I encourage you. I'm going to reference it again at the end because today, once again, we are talking about Reading scripture, reading scripture, applying scripture and what it's meant to do for us. Now, before we start, I used to lead um, community houses. Now, 
a community house back where I was from, me and my wife both did. Our community houses were houses where people who were like, man, I really want to have a deep relationship with God. What we did is we had a list of standards. We had these expectations. And then we had communal gatherings based on prayer, worship, um, involvement in a local church. It was incredible. We had, we had two houses. And at one point, hilarious fact, at one point we had 12 dudes who lived in one with one bathroom. Yo, think, let that sink in. 12 college dudes in one bathroom. What does that mean? I'd rather go outside. <laughs> it's like showering like with a like water bottle. People are like, what are you doing? You seen our bathroom? I ain't cleaning that thing. Uh, but anyway, so one time we actually were affiliated with a lot of different ministries. And one ministry reached out to us and they said, hey, we've, we've got a guy that we're going to send your way. And I'm like, well, what does that mean? And they were like, well... We had kind of, we, we feel like he needs to kind of take some time away from working for the Lord and kind of get the roots down again. So we told him if he lived with you for a year and he cut it, that he could come back to us. I was like, okay, well, this is interesting. So this guy calls me and this is across America. He calls me, he goes, Hey man, I'd love to move into your community house. What does that look like? So I go through a list of like, okay, well, this is what our community house is. It's we're going to be hyper-focused on practicals. We're going to be hyper-focused on like, you know, we've got weekly prayer meetings and Sunday attendance, which for some of us were like apprehensive to Sunday attendance. And I just love it when people say that because like the easiest thing about Christianity is going to church. <laughs> There's like no amens on that. <laughs> it's like literally the bare like basic minimum. It's like if you're going to come to me and be like, I don't need church, I'm going to be like, well, you're not going to need nothing from God pretty soon here. <laughs> Sorry, some people are like, wow, we're getting really, really forward. It's okay. Can you guys give like a fake laugh really quick? Okay. When it gets a little tense, you're allowed to fake it. Anyway, so I was like, you know, we start with church attendance. We start with being involved, all this. This guy's like, yes, I need it. I want to get my life on track, move back to this ministry, do it all. I'm like, sweet. So he moves in, and I remember when he moves in, he moved in on a Saturday. We've got church on Sunday morning, and we got 9, 11, and 1 p.m. service. And I'm there at all three, and I don't see him at any. And I come home, and I'm like, bro, where were you, man? Like, this is like, this is what the house does. Like, we create a culture, and then the goal is, is as we create that culture, we steward that, and it affects everybody who comes in around it. So this is the culture that we have. What happened? And he said, oh, I overslept. I said, bro, we got a 1 p.m. I'm like, I, you got to like try to oversleep past 1 p.m. Like some people are like, no, I don't. No, you really do. You wake up before it. Don't lie. And if you don't, that, you maybe need to get checked out. <laughs> um, I just like half coughed, half laughed there. Um, but anyway, so, so then I, ca- I had gotten him a job with one of my friends. And my friend calls me his first day starting. Hey, where's a, he calls me. It's 9, 9.30. He goes, hey, your guy that you recommended that's living in your house was supposed to be to work a half hour ago. He's not here. So I call him and he's, oh man, sorry, I had to stop on the way there, get my lunch. And I wanted to get some breakfast. I said, bro, it's your first day of work and you're, you're over a half hour late. Are you serious? I'd rather go hungry. <laughs> now what happened then is then throughout the week, there was just some more flakiness to where next what? This is my favorite church excuse of all time for somebody who lived with me. And it was an expectation. But he said he missed the next week. And he said that he was changing a headlight in his car. I'm like, I was like, man, that, that actually, I like kind of want to give you props because it's not that that's serious. It's just so like in-depthly thought about. And also who takes eight hours to fix a car headlight? 
<laughs> yeah, 9-11-1. It's like five and a half, but who cares? And so I remember I came in after church and I, I said, hey, man, I don't know if this is going to work out for you. And he looked at me, he goes, well, what do you mean? And I said, well, I know you really want to change. And I know you really want it. But you're not willing to do anything that can constitute growth. You're not willing to have discipline. You're not willing to be held accountable. You're not willing to do the habits and the behaviors that dictate growth. And that's what this house is built on. So I don't think this is going to be a good place for you. You're going to need to go pack your things. And he looked at me and he goes, because my dad owned the house. He was like, you should call your dad first. And I was like, no, I should. And I promise. You don't want my dad showing up. But what happened is, is he moved out and obviously didn't go back into the ministry. But genuinely, as sad as this is to say, I believe that there is a, a level of this disposition in the church today where I want to grow. I want more God. I want to be around it. I want it a part of me. But then when I ask, okay, well, what are our disciplines, our behavior, and our lifestyle? It's like we can't describe it. It's like we got sprinkle of Jesus. And if we see a really, really good Instagram reel, it's like, yeah, it's got the fill up for the day. And I want to ch- challenge you in your perception of understanding what a relationship with Scripture can do for you. And that's all today is. And what I'm challenging you this is I have, you know, we've been talking about holistic habits, but, but really this is kind of the subtitle is a new age of biblical awareness. A new age of biblical awareness, because I would say that today with the, with the spread of misinformation and disinformation, that if you don't have a real world biblical awareness for yourself, you're probably not going to make it. Because there's so many competing voices, there's so many denominations, there's so many people who I can say it one way and they can say it completely opposite and then who really knows? There's so much of that that if you don't have it for yourself, you probably won't have it long. And so today is all about a challenge to reading God's word. So what I want to do is I want to take it through the lens of a man in the Old Testament, 2 Kings 22, 1 through verse 13. And our man today, our man of the hour is Josiah. Josiah. Now I'm going to read, we're going to read like 14 verses, maybe 17. I'm going to stop a little and crack some jokes so it's not too dense for all of us. Says this, Josiah was eight years old when he became king. In the first service, I had a great joke, and I am going to say it again. But man, there are some eight-year-olds I might have voted for in the last election. Some people are like, I'm so offended. It's like, I don't care. (laughs) It's like, Josiah was eight years old when he became king. I'm like, I'm trying to think through what I would have done as an eight-year-old king. It's like, I I don't even know. I'm like, free almond joys all day. Oh, if you're talking bad about an almond joy, get up out of here. People are like, take the almond. I hate coconut. Take the almond out of the top. Like, it better be 100% cacao. <laughs> some, girls, some girls are like, hey, man, where do we buy those? It's like they're $23 over there at Whole Foods. <laughs> Let's keep going. That's like a new trendy thing. It's like a chocolate bar that's like 40 bucks. Who started that? <laughs> we need to talk to whoever started that. Second Kings. Wow, we are really far out of here. Josiah was eight years old when he became king. He reigned 31 years in Jerusalem, and his mother's name was Jediah. He did right in the sight of the Lord and walked in all the ways of his father David. 
And he did not turn aside to the right or to the left. Now in the 18th year of King Josiah, that means 18 plus 8, he's 26 years old. It says this, the king sent Shaphan to the house of the Lord saying, go up to Hilkiah, the high priest, that he may count the money brought into the house of the Lord, which the doorkeepers have gathered from the people. Let them deliver it into the hand of the workmen who have the oversight of the house of the Lord and let them give it to the workmen who are in the house of the Lord to repair the damages of the house. To the carpenters, the builders, the masons, and for buying timber and hewn stone to repair the house. Only no accounting shall be made with them for the money delivered into their hands for they deal with it faithfully. What happened was is Josiah's walking around one day and he looks at the temple and he's like, dang, it's looking haggard. This thing needs fixed up. And what's funny is this, I was feeling personally because I was 10 hours outside yesterday trying to repair our steeple right above here, and me and my buddy barely even got half of it done. And I'm only saying half to make myself feel better. But what, what's happening is Josiah's looking at the temple and he's like, man, this temple is looking rough. We need to get this thing fixed up. So what happens is, is there's a temple tax as people would enter that was paid. And ultimately he's saying, hey, let's give these to the priest to oversee the construction and making sure that everything looks good. So what happens is, is, is this is what happens. Then in verse 8, it says, then Helkiah the high priest said to Shaphan the scribe, I have found the book of the law in the house of the Lord. What happens is is he goes in and as he goes in kind of assessing what needs to be done, he finds this book of the law. And many scholars believe that this book is Deuteronomy. Now, if you know anything about Deuteronomy, Deuteronomy is is a book that many say is written by Moses. And it's Moses' kind of recollection and final thoughts before he is about to die. And so Deuteronomy is a sacred text, not only because it has instructions, it has the Ten Commandments, but it's written and oversaw by Moses. Now Moses, if you know anything about one of the Old Testament absolute pillars of the faith that in turn births Mosaic Law that comes after and really is attributed as this spiritual spearheading force of following God. It says this, In verse 9, Shaphan the scribe came to the king and brought back word to the king and said, Your servants have emptied out the money that was found in the house and have delivered it into the hand of the workmen who have oversought, who have the oversight of the house of the Lord. Moreover, Shaphan the scribe told the king, Helkiah the priest has given me a book, and Shaphan read it in the presence of the king. So right now, the king looks and says, Well, what's the book? It's Deuteronomy. They sit there and he just reads it straight through right then. Now listen to what takes place. Then the king commanded Helkiah the priest. There's a lot of names I'm screwing up. Verse 13, go inquire of the Lord for me on all the people of Judea concerning the words of this book that have been found. For great is the wrath of the Lord that burns against us because our fathers have not listened to the words to do according to all that is written. We're going to skip ahead and see what happens here. 2 Kings 23, 1 through verse 3, it says this. Then the king sent messengers and gathered the elders of Judah and Jerusalem. And the king went up to the house of the Lord and every man of Judah and all the inhabitants of Jerusalem with him and the priests and the prophets and all the people from small to great. And he read in their presence all the words of the book of the covenant, which was found in the house of the Lord. And the king stood by the pillar, made a covenant before the Lord to walk after the Lord and to keep his commandments, his provisions, his statues with all his heart. And all his soul to carry out the words of the covenant that were written in this book and all the people entered into covenant. 
And I want to close with this final skip ahead. 2 Kings 23, just one verse, 25. Before him, this is Josiah, there was no king like him who turned to the Lord with his whole heart and all his might in conformity to all the law of Moses, nor did any like him arise after. So what we actually find out is that Josiah, after hearing this and remaking the covenant, destroys all altars, and not only destroys altars, but any pagan priest literally has them slaughtered. And he essentially says, we will no longer serve anything other than Yahweh. Now, what's interesting to me, and I want, I'm going to read these things quickly because I think you need to understand that this isn't just, we need to get away from the, the mindset that we need to have this in-depth starting understanding of God. We need to get away from this fact that like we look at ourselves as inferior or weak if we don't know scripture. Let this sink in for a second. One encounter with the word of God changes the entire course of his kingship and his nation. One encounter with the Lord of God forever cements his legacy as one of the greatest Old Testament kings. One encounter with the word of God in true repentance subverts all impending doom and disaster. One encounter with the word of God overthrows hundreds of years of idolatry and delusion within one week. One encounter with the word of God reestablishes covenant that had ceased to exist and brings about safety in his kingship, stability in favor that was unprecedented. This all came from one book of the Bible in one time, in one reading. Man, I, let's just blow this myth out of the water that we need to have these crazy understanding theological. What if we just came in with the mindset of Josiah, God, I'm going to read, I'm going to listen, and I'm going to do. See, that's all this was, was one man who had a heart that was open, but not only open, but was obedient and not only obedient, but then became faithful. Notice that progression, an open heart that was obedient to what is read, that then became faithfulness that was stewarded for an entire kingdom. And I want to challenge you within that reality, because I believe today we've got a lot of open hearts, but maybe not as much obedience. And then when we start assessing obedience, can we assess obedience from a track record? That's called faithfulness. Because I'm telling you this, if we've got an open heart, but we don't have obedience and we don't have faithfulness, we don't have anything. And as sad as it is today, we as a church in America, I believe what God is doing is he's separating that wheat and the chaff. And the wheat and the chaff is this. The wheat are the ones who say, God, I will be formed in the image of your scriptures, not in the image of videos that I watch, not in the image of sound bites that are really good, not in the image of the most contemporary voice that's out there, not in the image of the top playlist I listen to, but in the image of my personal devotion to being formed by your word. See, a holistic habit is if us wanting to be changed, the whole of us, then we should be exploring the whole of scriptures. You know what's fascinating, and I've heard a lot of Josiah teachings, but I've never heard this part added. 300 years before he's born, there's a prophecy about his life. You know what that prophecy is? Great question. I'm going to read it for you. 1 Kings 13, 1 to 5. The first time we ever see Josiah is this. Now behold, there came a man of God from Judah to Bethel by the word of the Lord. 
and while Jeroboam was standing by the altar to burn incense. Now, what you need to understand before we read any further is Jeroboam is a wicked, wicked king. Not only that, but this altar of incense is not an altar that's inside the temple. What they did is they they would construct altars outside of the temple to other gods, not to desecrate the temple of Jerusalem, but to essentially differentiate for all of the people in the kingdom. The only problem is, is, is they're offering sacrifices and incense to other gods. They're grieving the God of Jacob and Isaac and Abraham. Let's keep reading. It says this. This, this, so this prophet walks up and he says this. He cried against the altar by the word of the Lord and said, O altar, altar, thus says the Lord, behold, a son shall be born to the house of David. Joshua, his name. And on you he shall sacrifice the priests of the high places who burn incense on you and human bones shall be burned on you. What he's actually saying is, hey, all you priests that are doing all the things on this altar, there's going to be a man who comes and puts your bones on it because this is wicked and a desecration to the covenant that God wants with his people. Let's keep reading. Verse 3, then he gave a sign the same day, saying, this is a sign which the Lord has spoken. Behold, the altar shall be split apart and the ashes which are on it shall be poured out. Listen to this and picture this. Now, when the king heard the saying of the man of God, and and when he cried against the altar in Bethel, Jeroboam stretched out his hand from the altar, saying, seize him. But his hand, which he stretched out, dried up so he could not draw it back to himself. The altar was also split apart and ashes were poured out from the altar according to the sign which the man of God had given to the Lord. Scholars estimate that this particular passage of scripture is written 300 years before Josiah even takes his first breath. Now I'm going to add another layer to this. And you can call it heretical if you want. But what if, let's just do a huge hypothetical what if. This particular part of scripture for some reason, made it into the Deuteronomy part. And there was maybe a stack that Josiah read. And not only did he read the law of the Lord, but he read about himself. Now, I'm going to take it a step further because what I'm trying to say is this, is what if you read the Bible and you found out that your name was spoken in a way that you never thought possible? What if you read the Bible and all of a sudden everything you thought you were changed based off of what you heard? See, that's what the Bible was intended for. They say this about scripture. This is a wild one. Is they say when the the very first widespread book in the printing press was the Bible. Now, up to that point, there were only small villages and families that were lived together. They say that the progression of the human language The progression of human language can be attributed to the printing press and the Bible. Why? Because as the Bible becomes widespread, families that talked, acted, and thought all the same are now being met with a reality in a book they've never read before, but they've heard talked about at their churches. And as it's given to them, their language changes. Their behaviors change. Everything about them starts to come into form with it. And not only that, like I said, the progression of our language can be attributed to the book's widespread use. There are so many layers of historical interesting facts and accuracy related to truly people who just said, God, I will take your word and I will study it. And I'll study it. And I'll study it. And I'll study it. 
And, it's, and I would even say this, even if I never stood on a stage and preached again, I would tell you this, the greatest gift I have is this rhythm with God in which I hear from him. This rhythm from God in which I read and I say, God, make me like this. Not make my church like this. Not make everybody think this way, but God, make me like this. I'll tell you this, in our transition here, we literally moved here with two friends and Justin, who's in the sound booth, came a few months later. And I'm going to tell you this, the rhythms of being with God is what sustained us in which all we were doing was building every day. Nobody was here in this building. Nobody was coming yet. All we had was a dream in our heart. But you know what we did have is we had a time with God in his scripture that kept adding wood on the fire to burn. And you guys see the product of it four months after our launch. But we believed in that dream because of the book that we read four months prior to ever doing anything. And I want to challenge you in your regard for scripture because I'm telling you this, your longevity and sustainability with Christ will be directly related to how you process and truly pursue scripture. Here we focus on four things, depth, discipline, sacrifice, and sustainability. What a life of depth is that understands discipline, that applies depth and discipline to knowing what sacrifice is and sacrificing on behalf of those two things that lead to sustainability. And if you haven't been able to tell, the church hasn't been the most sustainable recently. And I feel like God's inviting us to this place of leading the charge for not just a sustainable approach to God, but a pure intimacy with him. So what I want to do with just my final moments is give you three sound bites to end. Because we are in 2022. Three sound bites to end. The first one is this. Delight without discipline will dissipate. This is by an author named Pete Gregg who wrote an incredible book, How to Hear God, and another one, How to Read the Bible. But delight without discipline will dissipate. I want to tell you this. I think it's really easy to delight, but it's really hard to have discipline. And I want to challenge you within your thinking today. If all you're about is delighting in something and you don't have any discipline attached, that delight is dissipating soon. There will come a day where you will not have delight in that because the discipline is what sustains the delight. And I want to challenge you because I believe in this day and age, we can look at following God and say it's not just one season of delight, even though there are bumps in the road. But we can have discipline that procures a relationship with constantly delighting in him and it doesn't dissipate and it is sustainable. But that is your choice. I pray that we don't just delight in God, but truly that we're people who we have discipline in him as well. The second thing is this. If we want biblical experiences, we must live biblical lives. And that comes down to you understanding that a biblical life is you having a revelation and relationship with the Bible. I tell you what, we can quote all of the famous ones like, you know, God, help me be David to take down Goliath. You know, help me to, to be Moses and split the sea when it's difficult. In front. Like we can do that, but can we get into the weight of our doubts, the weight of our image that we project, but maybe not the image we feel? Can we get into the, to maybe the, the subconscious things, whether it's addiction or negative self-image or whatever that is, can we, can we take that and deal with it in scripture because that that's healthy but once again I think we all want the, the the biblical life to be able to say man I did what they did I followed that example 
We want the biblical experience, but you've got to have that Bible first. I'll say this one key word I felt like the Lord told me before we ever moved here and planted this church is I felt like the Lord said, Micah, you're always going to be able to preach from a place of knowledge, but now I'm challenging you to, play, to preach from a place of knowledge and sacrifice. And sacrifice meaning you sacrificed everything for me. And I'll never forget when he spoke those words to me because we were staring down, leaving all our families, leaving everything we'd ever known just because we maybe felt we were supposed to plant here. And I tell you this, knowledge and sacrifice, there's a fulfillment there that when you do it, there's a fulfillment. The last thing is this. This is a word I got recently, bear with me. Sundays are the protein shakes. Some people are like, wow, we were really deep and then you just took us to protein. (laughs) And I was sitting reading the Bible this week and I felt like the Lord... He challenged me once again and he said, Micah, I want you to realize that Sundays are your protein shakes as well. You take a protein shake after you work out to build muscle. If you take a protein shake and you didn't work out, it's just to make yourself feel healthy. And I felt like what God was saying was he was saying, hey, never forget that Sundays are designed for working out and building on the workout. They're not designed for us to just feel healthy and good that we did our thing for the week. And so I want to challenge you today. What is your perception and relationship with Scripture? Do you believe that you could have a Josiah-type encounter in which one moment, one book, and one choice going forward could influence so much more than you could ever realize? Because I believe that as I've studied the Bible... And I hope you do as well. Let's all stand to our feet. If you've never been here before, you know at the very end of our service, I I just read a prayer over all of us that kind of summarizes everything that we've learned and talked about. So whatever your posture of receiving is, whether that's open hands or closed eyes or whatever, I just pray that you would receive this today before we go into worship for our final moments. God, today, may you give fixate the spirit of Josiah, not just to listen, but to do. That we would prioritize an understanding and implementation of your word in our being that changes the forecast of who we thought we would become. God, may we be people who read the Bible with, I want to forever change. May we read the Bible hungry to rid ourselves of the spiritual ignorance that robs us of deeper intimacy in you. Father, we assume the responsibility of biblical literacy, not understanding how to read, but rather that we read and we never put it down. We read and it reads us. We read and set an example of someone who stands on principle and is not swayed with secular or progressive forms of of biblical knowledge, but rather a faithfulness to orthodoxy. That we would have the habits and rhythms that allow your kingdom to spread and heaven to be felt in, in our day. God, we choose the Bible for it is the way forward and it points to you who is the only God in our modern world that came downward because he couldn't bear us just looking upward. Oh God, may your words be the words we speak, 
the words we know, the words we are becoming, the words we utter when we have no other words left to say. Today, would you start a new journey in us in which we read, we respond, we repeat for all our days. In Jesus' name.